Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We're blessed this evening to have Dr. Karam Khan with us uh, from Central New Jersey. Welcome. I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. We've we've seen you uh, seen your work, you know, all of us individually, and then of course uh, through the podcast page as well. And you've got some phenomenal work, and we're we're looking forward to having some conversations about it because Thank you've you. you've been a little bit of everywhere. <laughs> A little bit, yes, yes, definitely. Uh, at least until uh, twenty nineteen. Well, yes, <laughs> until things kind of slowed down for all of us. Yeah. And then also on the podcast tonight is Jason Loftus. We caught Jason on a rare weekend as we approached the elk rut, and he's actually <laughs> home. <laughs> it's the calm before the storm, guys. <laughs> calm before the storm, and we're all in the That's field, right. hopefully. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So, Karam, what we tend to start the show with, just as we kind of get to know each other a little bit, uh, because while Jason and I have both followed your work, we've never actually visited except for just texting back and forth online. Yes. So just in an effort to get to know you right out of the gate, what is your favorite outdoor experience? Oh, Alaska, for sure. Uh, polar bears. Uh in a small village right out of, uh, it would be right next to Barter Island. It's called Kaktovik. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I was there uh, two years ago, hands down, my best experience, uh, followed closely by Africa. So tell us a bit more about your polar bear experience. I mean, you know, how long was it? Kind of how, how did that come about? Uh, were so, you with a guide? You know, all that kind of good stuff. But. Yeah. So, you know, the, Village of Kaktovik basically is right next to the Arctic uh, National Wildlife Refuge. And there have been some, uh, you know, pushback from the locals, uh, at least some of them, uh, about, you know, people coming from the outside and stuff like that. You know, people obviously, not everybody, but some people don't respect others' boundaries, so on and so forth. So things have been kind of quiet there. And then finally, uh, we actually got involved with a guide over there. And who has one of his own charter boats, and he's actually fitted that out for photography. So uh, it was a hike uh, from here to Seattle, Seattle to Fairbanks, Fairbanks to uh, finally we made it over there. And then uh, there's a small, you know, hotel slash diner sort of a place right outside of town is where you stay, and they actually take you out on boats. So what's going on is right after the annual whale hunt. They leave the whale carcass right outside of town. And the females and the cubs usually come there to forage because, you know, the ice is uh, forming later and later every year. So they kind of hang out, you know, it's, it's sustenance for them. So, and we get to photograph them. Once in a while, you'll see a big male come around, but usually it's the females and the cubs. The cubs are probably, you know, some are young, but most of them are not you know, cubs that you would probably get in Canada, which come out of the den. So these have been, they were probably either born the year before or earlier in the spring that season. 
So they're they're not big, but they're not you know really really small. But it's just so much fun to see them interact, forage, and just hang out. And you know the cubs. The best part about them is they're oblivious to what's about to come their way and they're just playing around and it's just an absolute blast photographing them. Um, you do photograph them from the boat um, and these boats are specially fitted. They have these little spikes or I don't know what to call them that actually go because it's pretty shallow bay and so they go into the ground and the boat becomes steady so you can actually go and sit and the boat start rocking and you can photograph them as they're just sitting around on spits of ice and stuff like that. So that was an absolute you know, and seeing them up close, uh, you know, one of the, actually not one, the biggest predator on earth, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest carnivore, it's just an amazing experience. Nothing mm-hmm. tops that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one that's still on the list for me. I think for Jason as well, so. Yeah, you go to Africa, you know, I mean, I've seen five lions being bullied by a cave buffalo. So you're like, okay, so much for the king of beasts, as they call it, you know. But you go see a polar bear, you know. The first thing our guide told us is like, you know, you may have heard about black bears, you know, play dead. You may have heard about grizzlies, fight back. There's only one thing about polar bears: if they charge and you're on ground, run. It's very unlikely you're gonna outrun them, but that's your only chance. You're not gonna, you can't play dead. You're not gonna be able to fight them. You run, you know, they're not gonna leave you alone. So if they because they're hungry if they get a hold of you they'll get you Mm. so it's like okay give them their respect keep your distance listen to your guide and concentrate on what you're there for which is photography and makes sense you know these people have been dealing with these animals day in and day out they know them better than i ever will and they probably they know individuals they know their temperaments and stuff like that so you listen to them and you know you do what you know better which is to photograph yeah 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 so that, you know, part of Alaska, hands down, my best experience. And then Yellowstone, you know, Yellowstone's pretty fun. I mean, you can't beat good old Yellowstone. The the boat setup, it sounds a lot like what Doug Gardner uses down on the swamp uh, to film off of. He's got kind of a platform that he's created so that he can video. Is it a hydraulic system or are you yeah, just driving absolutely. the stakes? No, it, it's it a hydraulic system. Hydraulics. So it goes down and it just drives these stakes into the ground and you know at first i was like yeah this thing's not gonna work and then when you realize i was just like whoa this thing absolutely is rock solid and you know so you're shooting with telephotos uh so the less movement the better obviously and and these are all hydraulics uh, i haven't seen the doug setup uh but it sounds like pretty much the same it's thing it's pretty similar yeah it sounds to me like as well well that's great and the reason you don't get off the boat Simply because you're photographing, you know, a predator that large, or is there an agreement with the community? A bit of both. Um, so you can, usually these trips happen mid to early to mid-October, uh, because the whale hunt, I think, is somewhere in the middle or end of September. So about a month from then uh, is, you know, a good time. Um, it's a balance because if you don't go there before the snow, everything is kind of muddy and, 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 you know, the polar bears don't look good and they're all uh, covered with mud. So, you know, people will be like, oh, that doesn't matter. But from a photographic perspective, it it sort of (laughs) does. So you go a little bit, the later you go, if you've had a couple of snowfalls, you're going to get a white, you know, ground, you're going to get 
clear animals. The downside to that is if the snow is already formed, they can't put the boats in water. So if they can put the boats in water, these they're, they're usually small icebreakers. So once they can put the boats in water and they can break the ice, it's better. You can get closer. Once you go to land, you have to abide by the laws from uh, the fish and wildlife. So you have to stay beyond, uh, you know, away. And you can be on the ground at that distance, but you're really far away. Only so, at those distances. Yeah. yeah that makes yeah, sense. So in order to be, yeah, in order to be close, the best way is for you to be on a boat. And that way you can get closer and get, you know, closer shots as opposed to being on the ground. We did go on the ground one, one of the days. They couldn't put the boat out. The ice was just too thick. Uh, so we did go from the car and we did get out. But it was like they were out there. Yeah. That makes it hard to photograph effectively when you're too far out. I mean, there's just, we talk about it, right? There's no substitute for getting close. You just can't um, get away from some of those atmospheric conditions and that that might interfere with your imagery when you get too far away but yeah people don't realize i mean uh, i've been to north alaska a couple of times and it's the amount of heat shimmer there is out of control and and you know the moment you're on ground and and you try to get low and the subject moves away some of those shots are just not unusable you know yeah. you might as well just back up your gear and enjoy the company of those animals because you're image wise you're not doing anything yeah yeah can i ask how close did you guys get with the boats i mean i'm sure there's well, a safe distance but are you yeah are you well, talking 50 yards 100 yards uh, you know about you could get close to 30 yards so if the ice is not there it's water and the bear would have to swim they get closer because you know the bear is obviously not going to swim that fast if there's solid ice and they're breaking the ice and the boats are slow they're going to stay further away in case a bear does decide to charge. Yeah. So usually, you know, with nothing but water, we got within 15 yards. Wow. These animals to the point that 600, you were getting face shots. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at your images and the just, I mean, that's what an incredible experience. You've got me. Polar bears are high on the list. Obviously, we already talked about it, but you've got me. <laughs> you've got me making me want to move it up on my list. <laughs> Some we new were stuff. About, well, that's we were thinking about going trying uh, out Churchill this uh, winter, uh, well, late fall, early winter. If, but you know, seems like uh, we're not able to get out of the country at this point. Uh, definitely not getting to Canada. So, yeah. you know, that plan never materialized. But polar bears are amazing. You know, yeah. absolutely love photograph. All bears are. You know, uh, even the grizzlies. I haven't had much experience with them just once, but they were fun. Yeah. yeah, brown bears, grizzly bears are they're yeah. fun to photograph. One of my favorites, but mm-hmm. I, the polar bears are definitely right up there. Maybe second to spirit bears. Spirit I'd like bears. to I'd like to get down the rainforest and photograph them in BC. Yeah. So let's dig into your portfolio a little bit. Jason's alluded to it a couple times, and the the imagery that you've captured you've done so in a very technical manner. So as far as background, your your bio on your website says that you've you've pretty much always had a camera in your hand. As far as background, how long did it take you to achieve that kind of technical mastery? If I tell people, you know, how long I've been shooting, most people don't believe me. Um, <laughs> I was 13, my grandfather gave me a Minolta with film and it had a built-in SLR, so metering wasn't that hard. 
but I actually started shooting, uh, you know, around 13, 14. And I shot with that, shot a couple of Polaroids, you know, and then sort of gave it up. And then I picked it up again uh, when I was 24. Uh, I think between the ages of 17 and 24, I sort of gave up photography. I had cameras, you know, pictures here and there. And then I picked up digital when I was, yes, around 24. And I'm 42 now, uh, going to turn 42 uh, in a couple of months. And I didn't get into wildlife until about five years ago. Mm. And that was in New York. We were taking a couple of friends showed up. Everybody wants to see the Statue of Liberty. And we're going there and I'm seeing these seagulls. And I was like, oh, okay. I had a 7200. I started photographing them. And that's how it started. So I've been shooting for a long time. So, you know, digital was kind of easy to pick up. And, and now with mirrorless, it's kind of cheating almost, you know. <laughs> it, it really is. What you People see is what you get. It. You don't have to pay attention to your meter. You just look at your viewfinder, yeah. right? What are you for? You fix everything. I mean, people are like, manual's hard. And I'm like, no, it's not. Have you seen mirrorless? It's just <laughs> all you got to do is turn a knob. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's fairly easy now. Yeah. You know, and, and the cameras are so good nowadays. You know, every single company, even if you miss exposure, it's so easy to rescue them, you know, unless you're completely off. But, uh, sure. it's just, you know, from that perspective, it's easy to shoot now than it ever was. I would agree with that. But... You're you're <laughs> uh, you're not taking credit for the technical ability that you have with the with your photography. It really is incredible. You guys just need to go check out his his Instagram and and check out the images. They're just they're beautiful. I yeah, just can't you. get over it. You got everything yeah. from you know rim light, over the shoulder exposure. You've got you know some side lighting. You've got several images that you shot in high key. Um, just to give a, a different look. So it's, it's really varied. And does, did you find you, that your personality, obviously you're, you're a medical professional, medical doctor. So did you find your personality lend itself to that technical side more? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, from becoming, you know, you're always competitive. Uh, it's not easy to get into medical school. So there's always that competitive streak in you, uh, all even going through residency everything's a permanent if you're not in the top you don't have to be the best but you got to be in the top tier otherwise nobody you, you're not going to make it so that comes along and and you know i always go by the philosophy if you're going to do something do it properly otherwise what's the point you know you're going to go outside enjoy nature i enjoy nature my wife enjoys nature my kids enjoy nature they don't like to well my kids starting to photograph now but uh, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to go out and photograph nature, I think you should do it right. You know, you should do it properly. Uh, there's no, if you just want to take a snapshot, I, you got the iPhone they, or the, you know, they work just as well. So understanding cameras is, you know, it's good. And, and you got to have a passion about this. I mean, photography to me is like fresh air, you know, do doing what I do for a living especially with this year and you, know, you come home, busy family life. It's my, I mean, even when I'm not photographing, you know, it's like I'm always reading something. I have this huge collection of books from different authors that I like to study, always reading an article. So 
I've always done that understanding, you know, some of the best books that people have written about exposure. You know, you would think that, you know, I'm contradicting about what I just said, but mirrorless is good. But if, if you understand exposure and cameras and how a tool is going to work, you can get the best out of it. That's how I feel. So it's still a lot to learn, but I think, you know, everybody should understand their camera gear uh, before going out to photograph. If you do, you'll be a better photographer. Would not disagree with one syllable of that statement. And that's what I tell everybody. It's, it's more about what you do in your front yard or more about, you know, you were talking about seagulls earlier when people are talking to me about photographing birds in flight, I just tell them to go to the city dump because there's, or park better yet park. Um, but there's, there's seagulls all over the place. And so you learn about exposure because the exposure is different when they're on the ground than it is once they hit, hit the sky and how to make those adjustments on the fly, <clears throat> learn about tracking your subject. You probably will never keep, you definitely will never sell any of those images, but it's tremendous practice. And I think it's more about what you do there than it is, you know, once you get out there, that's just, things do get easy. No, absolutely. Your practice makes perfect. The more you shoot, the better you're going to be at it. You know, it's just like everything else in life. Well, and we just glossed right over it, but I love the fact that uh, that seagulls, of all things, are what got you kind of right. into wildlife, and that's Triggered. beautiful. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I, I was living in Brooklyn, and uh, there's nothing there. You know, I was like, okay, seagulls, that's all you get. That's how I started, and then um, started Googling and then found these little small, you know, state parks. Most of them were in New Jersey. Some in, went there, you know. Unfortunately, in the Northeast, most of the stuff you're going to get is birds, um, obviously because of human population here. So that's how I started, was with birds, and then slowly from there grew. The good thing about that is if you can photograph a bird flying towards you straight head on, if you can keep that and you can keep that in focus, I think, you know, it, it's pretty good practice, like Ron was saying. Yeah, you're not going to do anything with those images, but it helps. And then slowly and surely, you know, I started traveling. And I'm always a big game person. I would always pick that over uh, my avian friends. But, you know, avian friends is what started me in this. And yep. they're easy, easily accessible to me. Yeah. Well, and there's so many birds. I mean, we've had a few different, you know, avian photographers on the podcast before. And it's really opened my eyes to the to the world and the possibilities of, of birds. And, you know, and it's funny, just kind of an interesting side note. We talked a little bit about, you know, like the seagulls, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I've seen some, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there was a specific photographer that actually went and made pigeons uh, a passion and went and did a bunch of pigeon photography. And so it's, you know, it's very, it's in the city, it's in different situations, but some of the images were pretty stinking incredible, you know? <laughs> so oh, pigeons, right? You can do slow, yeah. you know, banning, shutter use rear curtain saying front curtain or whatever you want to do. There's so many possibilities. Absolutely. Think about it, you know. Absolutely. Okay. Now those are two phrases that we've never had on the podcast. So before <laughs> I ask you about, I was going to ask you what, what kind of gear you're using now, but I saw that you do do some, uh, some flash work. So first curtain, second curtain sink on flash work. You tend to hear more about 
those terms with people or with people that photograph vehicles commercially. They're using mm-hmm. second curtain sync, so they get that blur, and then it freezes the image at, at the end. So when you're talking about first curtain and second curtain sync for our audience, could you describe what you mean? So uh, first curtain sync basically is when the curtain opens, uh, and uh, that's when the flash fires. And then the first curtain goes up uh, or goes down, and the other curtain follows. That's how shutters work. Um, and the flash is, you know, generally at the start of that. Second curtain or rear curtain sync uh, is basically when the flash fires just before the second curtain closes. So at the end of the exposure, it is generally used for with slow shutter speeds. Uh, let's say we're like uh, you mentioned, we're photographing a moving subject, a car, for example, a person dancing, um, and they're dancing and you have a slow shutter speed, so you're going to have a blurred out uh, image, but right at the end, the flash, depending on the flash speed, will freeze the motion. So it it, it almost looks like um, trails coming out of that uh, subject. And, uh, you know, that's rear curtain sync. It's very hard. Uh, it's not easy to do. Uh, <laughs> definitely not easy to do you know i've had mixed results with it uh but when you get it right it really works uh, one of the premier bird photography uh, uh competitions bird photographer of the year that's run out of london actually just announced their uh, winners yesterday the bird in flight is actually a prime example of a hopu it's an asian african bird that's beautifully done against a dark background uh, if, if you and when you guys get a chance, take a look. That's a excellent example of what a rear curtain sink can do. You can do the same thing with mammals too. As you, if you have a mammal running, let's say a pronghorn running in front of you, and it's within flash range, you can actually pan them and you can rear curtain sink them. It works well when you have a darker background, so that provides a separation between the subject. But it, it's it's a really great artistic effect. Uh, most cameras do it. Uh, nowadays actually everything every camera should do it uh you know i used to shoot nikon so it was very easy to do it then not as much on the current system that i'm on yeah so there's kind of that ghosting effect that comes in behind behind your subject and yeah it is a, a beautiful effect and i you have a couple examples on your instagram and hopefully we'll get a couple of those and throw them in the show notes so you can see what we're talking about because it just it when you start to use flash, it opens up your your uh, creative, I guess, creative zone, just a, another level. You know, people talk about light as everything, and that is true. You know, you mentioned backlight, rim light, you know, over-the-shoulder light, side light. And a great, a very good friend of mine, Josh, uh, I don't know if you know him, Josh Galecki, he, he talks about... It's like, well, there's another light, which is flash. So, you know, when you when you give so much importance to light and photography, how can you miss flash? So it it's, has its limitations and its uses. It shouldn't be used all the time. It doesn't work all the time. But if used correctly, I think it's great. Yeah. So you you started to talk about the system that you're using now. So what have you what have you kind of moved into currently? So I wanted to move into uh, mirrorless for a while. You know, uh, I have been, the DSLR system was just getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And last year, uh, last year, yeah, last year, 
I was shooting with this uh, buddy of mine, Josh. Uh, we were in Pennsylvania. We were going after small migrating birds, and we're hiking in the backcountry. And he is just ahead of me, and I am struggling to keep up with him. And he keeps, it's like, you need to get yourself in shape. You need to work out. I'm like, you know, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> and then finally, we got to a point, he, you know, I put my camera on a tripod and he picks it up. He's like, my God, what is that? So what do you have? You have rocks in your system? I'm like, no. So we, you know, his system was so much lighter than mine that I was just like, wow. So I started looking into it and, and I realized that, you know, going mirrorless, it was time. I just wasn't sure if they could keep up with the autofocus and everything. And then, you know, after some research, I realized, well, yes, they can. And then, so I made the switch to Sony. Um, and I switched to Sony last year. Uh, been using it for about a year. Uh, except for a few limitations, I, I, I have no regrets. I'm extremely happy uh, with the system. I mean, it's light, it's sharp, uh, everything's great. You know, mirrorless is mirrorless. It, it has certain disadvantages, but other than that, I think it's a great system. What are the disadvantages that you found? Uh, for Sony, flash. Flash was the biggest disadvantage, um, partly because some of the stuff that you have for DSLRs, for example, you know, you have a 600 and you have a Vimberly uh, flash arm, you don't get that for Sony. So, okay, uh, the Sony flash doesn't fit in properly on the Nikon mount, so and they don't make a separate one. So I had to sort of self-engineer and put it together. Then you realize that there are no off-camera flash cords made by Sony. So you have to use aftermarket flash cords, which don't work as properly. You know, they have difficulty with metering. So you realize there are certain limitations and there's a way for flash to still, you know, move forward. And when you use flash, you can't use the electronic shutter. So you have to go into mechanical shutter because of the banding, the way the signals are read, which isn't too bad because, you know, the mechanical shutter slows down. And if you're going to use flash, you have to slow your speeds down anyhow. There's no flash in the world that can keep up with 20 frames a second. So when you're shooting flash, you got to, at tops, if you put an external battery, you can do seven frames a second. So that wasn't too bad yeah, for me, but it was just, you know, the logistics, it was just, the Sony flash itself was too expensive. Uh, lack of third-party support system and the ones that were there were not great. And so I think from a flash perspective, the mirrorless is lagging, which I think the, the Nikon system and the Canon system will have an advantage over there because they've had a better flash system. They've been around longer than Sony have. So they, you know, they can incorporate all those flashes and their cords into their mirrorless system and they'll do better. So that is the only disadvantage of the Sony system. But other than that, I think it's just, it just has no issues whatsoever. Uh, battery was an issue at some point, not anymore. With the new batteries of Sony, you can easily get 2,000 frames with one charge. Jason and I both have been doing more video, and I've had this internal struggle, and I still, I, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk to Mike about his review of the, the Canon R5. Yeah. this coming week because he's had it in the field for a couple of weeks and he's, he's mm -hmm. been using it hard. Um, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. And I think that'll answer some questions, but with the Sony system, you've got the a seven S three, which is pretty much video centric, mm -hmm. but it is rock solid video centric. It's a, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic, you know, SLR or DSLR type video camera, hybrid camera, but 
it uh i think it's a better video option but then there's the canon lens array so that's that's my struggle what how did you find the the lens selection when you switched so actually the reason i started looking into mirrorless was because of the lenses um, and people were surprised so coming from nikon i had a 600 which was a g version and the g version version was a heavy lens uh, and i started looking into it and they're like well you should get the fluorite i'm like yeah sure so i started i got in the market for a fluorite 600 but i couldn't find one um nikon I, I put an order with Nikon. Uh, I was NPS at that point, and I didn't hear from them for like six months. It was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll once we ship it, we'll let you know. And then the Sony 600 came out. Um, that was one of the disadvantages of the mirrorless system. It's the lightest 600 in the world. It's even lighter than Canon's uh, version three. They came out with a 400 2.8. Um, they have a fantastic 100 to 400. They have a, some great, uh, you know, wide angles. So um, for me, their lens selection is not as wide, uh, you know, as in, for example, a Nikon or a Canon, but what they have serves every purpose just as good. You know, I mean, I'm covered pretty much from 12 millimeters all the way to uh, 600 millimeters. And nowadays, you know, the zooms are so good and the post-processing softwares are so amazing, uh, you know, with Topaz stuff that's coming out that this question, oh, this lens is sharper, that is not like, does that even matter at this point? Yeah, it's to a point know? where it's negligible. Yeah, it's negligible. So, you know, I the only prime that I have is I think I have a wide angle prime uh, mm-hmm. that I love when I do some landscape and the 600, everything else I have is a zoom. Um, absolutely fantastic no problem you know fast focusing great colors Uh, sony was you know one of those that nobody paid attention just kind of creeped up on nikon and canon and now they're playing catch up uh and they they will play catch up you know these systems just keep going one's for good for two days and two years and another one comes in another one comes they're more or less all of the same ballpark yeah i was just going to ask you about the colors you mentioned the great colors i I'm in the process right now. I actually shoot both systems. I have the Sony A7R4, and then I've got the D850 with my prime 500mm mm-hmm. still. And I find myself keep wanting to shoot that 500mm prime with my D850, and I think a lot of it has to do with the colors and some of the bokeh. But my only Sony lens at this point is the, is the 2-600, to mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a great lens. But I just, for me, a big issue I've fought is color differences in the colors that I get from the two different camera systems. I'm just curious, you know, did you notice that? And if you did, you know, what post-processing software are you using? Are you using Lightroom and Photoshop still? Or, you know, how did you, what did you find with that? Um, so, you know, most of Nikon sensors are actually made by Sony, you know, with, with tweaking and engineering that they do, obviously. Um, there is, there's a small color difference when you first get onto it. You do realize it. Uh, and, but, after a while, honestly speaking, um, most of these color differences, in my opinion, go away uh, once you autocorrect your white balance properly. Once you you figure that white balance out, you know, I think the color different difference is negligible. Um, I, I use Lightroom. Uh, I use, you know, for the most part, 80% of my processing is Lightroom, and then 20% is Photoshop if I need to do something 
clean something out or something of that nature. And, you know, the first thing I always do is I just even I shoot auto white balance. I think everybody does uh, at this point, unless you're going for a certain effect. First thing I do is I'll come in, I'll put a dropper if I can and, and correct that white balance. And if I do that, I've seen that for the most part, I'm 99% I'm in the ballpark where I want to be. Interesting. Interesting. We'll have to chat a little bit more after. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think you've got some things you could teach me. <laughs> and so, so you just alluded to that dropper tool in Lightroom, and a lot of people don't know about it. So right your top on your toolbar on the left in the develop module in Lightroom, right at the top is the white balance slider. Just to the left of that slider, there's a dropper. And if you take the dropper and and just click it on something that should be white, it will correct your your white balance or like you said, at least get you close. And most a lot of people don't use that tool. So what did you you just said something and I cut you off. No. no. So generally white uh, and between white and gray tones, if you put it in, because uh, that's what your sensor is trying to do. The sensor wants to convert everything gray. You know, that's how the science works. So if you drop it on that, it'll correct your white balance right away. And, uh, you know, and then you can tweak it to taste, obviously. You know, if you're shooting on a cloudy day and you're jacked up all the way, obviously that's not going to look right. So once you do that, I think you'll be fine. Um you know, I generally use something like a light gray. That's what I sample. And if, if I like it, I'll go with that. And I think that's fairly accurate in my opinion. Like a tree bark or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, on a gray day, you can use it in the clouds if you have them or, or, or something of that nature. And it's, you know, it's equally important for black and white. I mean, most people think that, you know, if you're going to convert it to black and white, white balance doesn't matter yet. And it does. <laughs> so if you if your colors are right and everything's right, it will make for a better black and white. So, you know, just because you're going to convert an image to monochrome doesn't mean the white balance should be off. So, you know, the last thing I'll do to an image is convert it to black and white. First, you know, properly... Uh, properly develop it and then convert it to black and white again white balance is important so you do that and, and it negates color science for the most part you know there are systems that have an advantage i mean you know canon uh skin tones are great you know but then again i don't really care about skin tones on a polar bear <laughs> so right. but you know yep. my wife still keeps nagging me oh no i i like the canon so and so has a canon and her images are always better. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> so uh, that's what we got to have wives to keep us honest. <laughs> oh, she does. Right. She, she will. She's like, she's one of, you know, she's like, you know, why are you showing, posting that? I'm like, no, it's good. It's like, no, it's not. Get, get rid of it. <laughs> okay, delete. So, wow. It's like, all right. Because, <laughs> you know, you'll post it on, you know, my philosophy in social media is if I don't like it, I won't comment, you know, um, life's very busy too and sometimes you only have five ten minutes to scroll through your feed whatever comes in you like it and then you move on you know kids work whatever but uh, she'll be like no no why you post why, why'd you post this shot like she'll test me text me if i post something she's like can you take this off this is not worth it i'm like oh, okay <laughs> that's why your portfolio wow. is so solid you've got quality control yeah at home <laughs> Oh, that's, oh that's great. 
We'll have to we'll have to get your wife on the podcast at some point in time. Yeah, at some point, yeah, no, she, she'll keep me honest. She's like, no, no, you've shot. She's like, why do you want to photograph that thing again? Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Just do something else. <laughs> That's funny, Jason. If you didn't have any other questions about the, go, go the gear phase, go I was gonna try to get into because we don't we spend the vast majority of our time in North America, and mm-hmm. we don't get the opportunity often to speak with photographers who have had, you know, good experience in Africa. When you were talking about your favorite time in the outdoors, you, you know, you were pretty adamant that the polar bear trip was your, your favorite, but you also mentioned Africa. Africa. What, uh, what all have you had the opportunity to photograph over there? So I've been to Africa twice. Uh, you know, we've been, I've been to Tanzania uh, a few years back and then we were in Kenya in November. Um, so that was obviously, uh, it was not prime time to be in Kenya. Part of the reason was I just, I sort of avoid crowds and, you know, when the migration moves into Kenya from the Serengeti, which is a, you know, it's all the Mara triangle and all that stuff. So the wildebeest move up into Kenya, which is where they will feed and then they'll move back to, to the Serengeti and they, they do so photographers actually follow that migration sort of so in june and july is a time when they're doing the crossings over the mara river trying to get into kenya and 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 they're like cars after car so i didn't want to do that so we sort of went after peak migration and that was in november uh just after migration and before the start of the rainy season so the it's it's a quieter time but it's also less people uh and and looking at the amount of people that were there i'm like my god i'm glad we came late because this would have been an absolute zoo. Uh, you go to, there's nothing like it on earth. There's really nothing like it. You know, two places that I think, uh, well, I'm sure there are more. The two places I've been to, there's nothing like Alaska uh, and there's nothing like Africa. Uh, you you see the plains and it's like, wow, just planes wherever you can see, animals wherever you can see. You've never seen that sort of, you know, and, and this is now when everything's in decline, unfortunately. I mean, animals, as far as the eye can see, it's just absolutely, there's nothing, it's hard to describe, like it changes you as a photographer and as a nature lover. Like it's once you go there, you always want to go back. Um, You know, seeing lions when they walk two feet close to you, seeing a leopard on a kill, cheetahs running, uh, it's just absolutely amazing. You know, big cats, elephants, being close to elephants, it's, you know, if you if you want to photograph elephants and Baselli and, and the herds walk, come into the park, you're you're literally surrounded by four or five hundred elephants at one point, which have no fear of man. It's like nothing you've ever seen in your life. So it's an absolutely amazing experience. Not all situations are photographically perfect, but, you know, but it's just an amazing experience to be uh in Africa. I mean, if you have to do it, you have to do it. Uh, you should definitely at one point in your life should do it. But again, then again, so is Alaska, you know, especially if you love birds, uh, the, the variety that Alaska has to offer bears, you know, photographing caribou, Arctic foxes, all that. It's just an amazing place. Yeah. That's the statement that you made about when you get back, you just start planning your next trip. That's what I tell everybody about Alaska. 
because you just you can't wait to get back because it's such a big place there's no possible way to to even get close to seeing as, as much as you'd like to see in one trip and i africa the the diversity in africa i think is the same you'd have to you'd have to spend a week in or two weeks in each location to do it justice really yeah you would have to spend months i mean people spend three weeks at a time obviously you know being not a full-time uh i do it for fun this is you know this is my passion so obviously you got to come back to work make a living uh, and all that sort of stuff you know life but uh just we we were there for almost two and a half weeks and we went to three places in, in hindsight i think it's better to do maybe one or two uh you know, we went to Amboseli, which is just 99% of Amboseli is about elephants. But my God, it's it's just, if you've never been to Amboseli, it's the best place in the world to photograph uh, elephants. And then you go to the Maasai Mara, it's like, you know, you have sunsets like you wouldn't believe. It's like, wow, this is, it's a different sort of, because there are no trees, it's all, you know, flat. So you're going to get the sun until it just, even if it's halfway up, up the horizon, so you can continue shooting till the end so it's just amazing you know in alaska man you know i just barely scratched the surface of uh, brown bears coastal brown bears and and you know some seabirds and and shorebird and nesting birds and then polar bears and i haven't even been to the interior i've just sort of worked the coast only so yeah, the interior is a magical place too it's, and and it, everywhere you go is different, just like Africa. You know, I'd love to go photograph the mountain gorillas, but I'd also love to go photograph the baboons in Ethiopia, the, the mountain, mm-hmm. um, and the Ethiopian wolf. You know, those That's... are two species that I, I think are probably undershot, Yeah, but they are very intriguing. And then, of course, you've got all the plains game, and you've got, you know, the the hippos and and crocs in those aquatic regions it just never ends there's so much i mean you can spend a life there and not be able to do everything and anything you know people some of our the south african photographers they live there they do this for a living they haven't photographed the entire continent so you know for for people like us who have to fly over the pond to get to europe and then to africa you know it's hard it's not easy, you know, and obviously it costs us more money just to get over there. But, you know, we have our places. Uh, we got Alaska. It was <laughs> a smart right. move when we bought that. We've got Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got Yellowstone. I mean, winter in Yellowstone, it's an amazing experience, yeah, you know. It is. It's like uh, photographing those hikey, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and you want to test your exposure capabilities and understanding of exposure. That's a good place to go. Yeah. To yeah. play with it for sure. <laughs> well said, definitely. You know. So, do you, is that what you spent most of your time in Yellowstone? Is in the winter? Uh, yeah, mostly uh, Lamar. Um, you know, and, and it's just when I first started, I would you know try to get people to take me around and stuff like that. But now it's at a point we just set up your stuff and couple you and your friends, and we just go. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's. Lamar's open, so you stay in Gardner, and, and, and you can, you know, go from Lamar, through Lamar all the way to Cook City and back. And we did go to uh, 
West Yellowstone, uh, but it was kind of hard. You had to get somebody to take you in because we didn't have the vehicles. And that was actually more crowded than Lamar, uh, yeah. interestingly. So everybody was sort of standing by the river hoping for a bobcat to come out. And, and, and it was like, you know, it, it was fun. You know, yeah. we got some good bison stuff there. I mean, Yellowstone, I still, it's it is a great place to be. Tetons too, Grand Tetons, you know, it, it's a beautiful place. And uh, then you can go further south, even Arizona. We got Bosky. That's mostly for birds and all that. You know, we have mentoring sandhill cranes and stuff like that. And I haven't even gone to the West Coast, you know, up in uh, California. And that's that side. I haven't shot anything there. Bosky may finally be on the plate since I can't go anywhere else this year. <laughs> we were talking about it. <laughs> But they, I, I think they closed a couple of the ponds where you can get the just crazy light. Oh, um, right. So that's okay. the dis, that's the disappointing thing, oh. uh, because people were crossing railroad tracks and kind of uh, okay. in danger. So they just shut them down. Oh. But there's still a a lot of potential there, a lot of opportunity, yep. I guess I should say. And Tetons in the fall, you know. Oh yeah, without a doubt, it's beautiful. Yep. Yeah. It's just crowded. <laughs> true. That uh, true. You know, especially some of the more uh, famous spots. But you know, la when I was there a couple of years ago, uh, we had this big moose, and uh, he was he had his lady, and there was a young one trying to get in, and it was fog. We were only about thirty forty yards from the road, but it was completely fogged in. And so anybody on the, we couldn't see anybody in the car, uh, on the road. So you could hear the cars go by, but they never saw it. So they never came. So we had these two guys going at it for like, I would say maybe a couple of hours before the fog cleared up and people finally realized what was going on. What was happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Because the fog shots down there on the river, oh, they, they're there they create a whole different kind of, uh, mystique for grand teton park absolutely uh they've been done a lot but still i haven't shot those we never found the fog uh on the whenever i was on the snake river nothing it was bluebird skies so you know we did what we could against all odds though 399 still has four cubs oh yeah so and, i'm kind of went, looking forward to possibly getting over there this fall and see it if i can yeah, find that would her. Be great people came out uh yeah we us too people um when they first came out i i know a couple of guys out of california they just drove down that you know i mean she's an icon i hopefully she can live on longer and longer you know she stays inside the park yeah. and she survives but to raise four cubs successfully that's Unheard, that's of. unheard so of. Hopefully they do well. Jason and I were fo both fortunate enough to make it over there. And of course, Jason was more fortunate because he kind of had a, a closer opportunity with her and the Cubs oh. for, at, on one day. But yeah. I, I won't complain. I had good opportunities no. as well. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw her. Uh, oh, really? Is, yeah. I, I've been there twice. I've never seen her. So mm -hmm. somehow, oh, 399 is coming around the bend. She never did. She's going over there. She never did. She's going over there. We never saw 399. <laughs> uh, First time I saw her, I didn't know it was her. Because I was, I, she was I, running I around the park in circles. She had put the cubs up a tree. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, was running around looking for them, but she was just making these big circles. Okay. 
and got photographs of her, but didn't realize that that was that was three ninety nine. Mm. Well, hopefully things that changes, then I can shoot her uh, with my camera. Great. Yeah. Better get out here. This this yeah, is the year. Yeah. She's. This is the only you know the only place. I mean, it's we. I was looking it up. It's not that far. It's only like maybe a thirty five hour drive. Only. Only. <laughs> only. <laughs> only a thirty five hour five hour drive. So it's doable. It's do- yeah, yep, it's it days. is. It's two long days. <laughs> yeah. Well, a friend of mine and I, we drove to, uh, we were supposed to be, uh, we were thinking about going to Alaska and that never materialized because of the COVID situation. So we ended up driving to North Dakota, which was, you know, you can call it, uh, we were supposed to go to Nome uh, up in Alaska. So we sort of named it Nome Light, uh, you know, so we went to the prairies of uh, North Dakota, uh, me and a friend of mine, Josh Kaliki. Uh, so we, we had a fun time. At the prairies, you know. Did you make it to the Badlands? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, we just were sort of short of time because it took a long time driving. What we decided to do was we actually rented an RV. We cleaned it up. Uh, we sort of disinfected it and everything. And then the two of us got into it and started driving thing. That thing would not go more than 40 miles an hour. <laughs> if you took it, it felt like that the whole thing's going to break apart. So... Oh. It took us a while to get there, and then it was just at, at a point, it's like, okay, let's just do this and then get back home. Uh, Badlands would have been fun, definitely. Yeah, the Badlands in North Dakota are beautiful. Beautiful place to be. I've recently started getting into uh, landscape photography, and I'm enjoying that too, you know. Not as my primary subject, but, you know, as an add-on, I think it tells more, more of a story when you go to a particular location, and you can mix the two together. And, you know, my wife gave me this idea, make books. Uh, so I'm starting doing that. You know, if you have a big trip, come back. If you have enough images, please make a book for memory's sake. Otherwise, you know, you sort of shove them in the corner uh, in your digital and you never look back at them until like two years later. It's like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about this shot. So yeah. I've recently started doing these coffee book things. Yeah, it's working out good. You're probably putting quite the library together now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're trying to. So, I mean, it's like, all right, I'll do, I have enough. I, I want to have a couple of more trips to Alaska before I can, I want to do one for my trips to Alaska. That should be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I can't go, I can't go to the Tetons without getting every morning, every evening, I find myself at some landscape spot just because I just can't help it. It's just such an incredible yeah. opportunity for it. You oh, know? Absolutely. <laughs> How yeah. far are you? from uh tetons pretty i'm pretty fortunate ron and i are both not far it's about four hours for me so That's it's a pretty good yeah i can be to west or to jackson in four hours from my house so okay yeah and you know, about, i can make long weekends out of yeah mm. yeah very good so yeah next time you come you need to let us know you're let coming us, yeah Absolutely. we'll meet you there yeah, yeah. definitely that'd be fun hanging be out fun. and shooting absolutely. Yeah. absolutely you can show us where to go well, or you can show me where <laughs> outside the park, you know. Yeah, there you go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure there are better kept secrets outside the park than inside the park. There's some pretty mm-hmm. nice spots, yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Where's what's next on your agenda? But everything sort of fell apart. Uh it's kinda in flux yeah, this, this year. year, yeah. We were you know, I I'm blessed to have my wife who actually supports us a lot so she variably or invariably will 
plan or trips where at least I can do something uh, from a photographic perspective. So we were supposed to, her, me and the kids, we were supposed to go to uh, Costa Rica. That didn't happen. That was in April, then Alaska fell apart. So right now, nothing much. Everything this year is sort of, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And because of work, if really things get bad, then, you know, your vacation sort of gets canceled too. So you have to go get go back in and then you're dealt, you're dealing with all that disaster. So nothing really, you know, 2020 is hopefully if things work out, maybe in the fall, uh, thinking out west somewhere. Uh, it's been too long that I've, you know, photographed mammals, just birds can only get me, you know, going for so long, so long. So <laughs> head out and hopefully do that. If not, you know, we'll see, uh, maybe winter in Yellowstone again. Uh, that's definitely on the agenda. We're thinking about going to Alaska. It's just the, the quarantine requirements and all that stuff. It just needed so much time that, you know, and I was sort of uncomfortable to fly anyhow at this point and literally would have taken, I would have needed so much time just for quarantine purposes and all that stuff. So ended up not going. Uh, but yeah, let's see. You know, I think a, a lot of uh, it is season seasonally dependent here. So right now it's uh, it's sort of a quiet time here. Some short birds are here, but other than that, nothing much. So hopefully come fall, things pick up here uh, with the bird migrations, birds moving back south, and then stuff out west. That's, you know, this thing that will be on my radar would probably be the Tetons for fall. Uh, if not, then, uh, you know, winter in Yellowstone, stuff of that nature. Uh, one of the places that I really, really want to go is to photograph uh, penguins. That's like uh, yeah. really, yeah, really, really. Falkland, South Georgia. Yeah. yeah that's so The problem with South Georgia is that, you know, you got to go with the ship and you got everybody does and you got a couple of hours to photograph and then you got to get back into the so you know i feel restricted uh that way it's like oh you got five hours do what you can somehow you know i'd rather not but it's it's a good place to photograph uh kings there are other points other areas in the falklands which are less well known where you not you know as many numbers but you can get kings the good thing about south georgia is the scenery it's just absolutely insane with the mountains uh the arctic is probably too expensive to go to you know for the emperors that's just i guess people like you know hobbyists are probably never going to go unless you got a heck of a lot of money to throw away so you know you're never going to be able to go there but uh, falklands is a great place to be uh, a couple of the islands over there you know i would love to photograph if not the emperors and the kings that's you know patagonia it's another good place. Uh, it should be fun. I mean, how can that not be good? Yeah, Michael's been down there, and uh, the mm -hmm. scenery down there is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at these photographers, and it's just like, wow, you know, this is insane. You got to be, if you can, at some point in my life, I'd like to go there. But one of the big things would probably be the penguins, definitely. You know, I, I think so. Rather than this friend sorry. of mine used to go down, he he would go down every year. And so he did establish some relationships, but he would go down and he, he would rent these ranchers down there on the islands 
have these outbuildings and they're not well kept. <laughs> they're, they're definitely limited in their uh, accommodations, but he would go down there and they would buy his food. He would have to pay them to, to go get his food and that kind of thing and stock him. But then he would walk, he could walk out to several different colonies or hop a boat to several different colonies. And he did it fairly cheap, but he would be down there a month at a time. If you can do that, you know, if you take a trip, like with one of these guys, it'll cost you a significant amount of money. But if you can do what your friend is doing, um, you can do it for one third the price. Uh, and, and, and you can do it on your own terms, which is, I think, the best way to photograph. You know, you can, you're here, you're living there, you know, you're allowed to, I mean, you're just not restricted. People come into the island and by the time they get there, it's 10 o'clock. And by the time they leave, it's four o'clock. So you're missing the best part of the day anyhow. So, you know, definitely. I mean, obviously the, the issue with that is uh, finding these, you know, establishing connections. Exactly. Yeah. You know, once you've got that under the belt, you're golden. Yep. Yeah, that is definitely one that I would like to do. And I, you know, especially the images that he would get. I mean, he basically took a 24 to 70 and a 70 to 200 and that was it. And he would, most of the images that he took were with a 24 to 70. He'd get these wide angle shots, beautiful shots of these huge colonies, breeding colonies. And then he'd get down with the elephant seals, lay right down in the sand and, these what i i think those things are over two thousand pounds uh, yeah and uh, apparently <laughs> he he got some crazy shots i'm not sure that i would feel comfortable doing that doing that with some of those bigger bigger bulls that's a little bit crazy but he got some crazy stuff yeah i've been i've been working on actually a project like that uh in case i do make it out west is to put your uh camera on top of an rc car and use that and trying to use it remotely you know a lot of people have been doing i mean or in africa and every time you look at some of these things that are commercially sold it's like five grand six grand i'm like really that makes no sense you know why would i spend and then finally you did the math and everything and and then i i built one uh myself and uh you know put your system together obviously you know i got to get somebody to put a cage over it or something, but to try to use one of those to get close to these bigger animals, specifically bison, you know, the only problem is you can't do that inside a national park. Yeah. Outside the park, you know, and you're not chasing the animal. You're sort of just getting a little close, getting a wider perspective. That's about it. I was going to say, it's not like lions and elephants. You're not going to lose your camera, but then you brought bison up and that may be a whole different story. <laughs> you mean you know you can so my i have everything made the only thing i can uh, make is a shell for itself you know so I, I probably have to get some time go see a machinist we can build some sort of a cage over that and that would protect it and it's not heavy because the more heavy it is you're going to drain the batteries it's not like these things have good batteries but that's one of the other projects I've been trying to work on recently. And, you know, I was just playing around with uh, some deer. So it's interesting. The young 
run away, but the we have a buck that comes out in the backyard. He's not shy, so he gets pretty close to those things. So that's something you can use for an elephant seal. You know, you stay away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jason, before we, I, I want to cover one area before we wrap it up, but did you have anything else? No, I'm just uh, listening to all these cool things he's got going on and the ideas. I know, and it's, it's starting. has got the wheels turning, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for people who are like me, I just, because we talked a little bit before the show and you kind of put it in perspective for me a little bit. I was whining about not being able to travel and not being able to take some of my trips and that kind of thing. So for people who are feeling the same thing that I am, just that frustration, um, your comments kind of put it in perspective for me as as far as where you are and w- what you've seen. Because we have not, you know, obviously we're a lot um, lighter populated in Wyoming. It's pretty sparse, so we haven't been hit really that hard. Um, but some of these more populated areas like where you're at, go ahead and, and just kind of put it in perspective for for our listeners and man it's a it's something i wish i could unsee you know unfortunately i can't um i i'm a pulmonologist and a critical care physician uh by from my training and when this thing started uh we run a 24 bed icu uh we were at we had three people in one room on ventilators people literally saying goodbye on iPads, like, okay, they're, they're going to, you know, that's it, just goodbye, because you know they're going to die. And there's everything that you can do you've done, it's just not working. And they did die. You've had to tell women who just had a baby that, oh, by the way, you're, you know, the baby's born an orphan because her husband died, uh, you know, the day before. So it was absolutely devastating. Uh, luckily, with some, you know, social distancing, mask and everything, it, it subsided. And now we've opened up and it's started to go up again, but it's not as bad as it was. And hopefully it stays that way. You know, it was it's not as bad as it was in April. April was absolutely devastating. My friends, you know, because I trained in New York, uh, in the city, and, you know, my buddies from training, mo- I was the only one, we were four friends. I was the only one that moved out. The rest all stayed there. And, you know, we would kind of have, we would have this chat every night about what, how everybody's day was. And New York was even worse. Uh, it's, it's it just, there's so much life lost. People have lost everything. Jobs lost. And, and these jobs are not going to come back. You know, restaurant industries and all these, they're, they're not going to come back. You know, no restaurant can survive two years or stuff like that. So if you look at that, how many people have lost? I see patients who have like, okay, I don't know where my next month's payments are coming from. So when you look at that, no work, no health care, people have lost loved ones. And I'm like, yeah, I was kind of ticked off about not going for my photography or not being able to go on family vacations, you know, in the grand scheme of things you know, it's okay. Uh, hopefully this survives, you know, and, and we stick together rather than be divided and get through this. Uh, and hopefully we will. And, you know, life can go back. It's going to take us a while to recover both financially. Uh, life that's gone is gone, ain't coming back. But I, I think, you know, 
a lot of this, if your family's there, you got a roof, you're able to eat, you know, I understand. I'm frustrated too. You know, people tell me, oh, I can't wear a mask. I'm like, yeah, I hate a mask. You know, I wear two of them eight hours a day. What option do you have? You know, so you get over this and hopefully we can get back to some semblance of normal life, you know. And if I, you know, my dad always was like, if you, you're not happy, just look at the person behind you and you'll see something that that'll just help you appreciate what you're doing. And I think that's basically what it is. I mean, I can still go shoot, let's say, you know, the local beach. You guys have the Tetons. Uh, you know, people travel to the Tetons, you know, out of Europe. So when you think of it from that perspective, you know, it, it definitely is bearable, I would say, you know. But uh, I, I think um, you could, we could have been in, in far worse situation than we are in, um, in terms of our, from a, you know, from a photographer's perspective, if you do this as a living, obviously people have had issues, you know, I, I see it online in terms of workshop cancellations and so on and so forth, but people adapt, people do stuff that's different, you know, t online teaching, stuff like that. But I, I still think that in the grand scheme of things, you know, you and I are still, we should be, contending what we didn't end up losing exactly and that and that put it in perspective for me so i'm i'm thankful that you're able to do the same for our listeners and very well said and thanks karam for you know putting yourself out, self out there on the front line oh, i know it's your sure. job i know it's your job but i know it can also be a thankless job at times so you know thank I, you yeah for I sure that. for karam khan Jason Loftus and Ron Hayes, thanks for listening to another episode of Wild and Exposed. Thanks for having me, guys. It was an absolute blast talking to both of you. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way